What I discovered in the process of my research was more unexpected than the plot of any science fiction novel. I never could have dreamed up a story more amazing than the reality that I have perceived. What I have learned makes sense in retrospect, but learning it challenged nearly every preconception that I had. The human species is at a crossroads in its evolutionary history. We are about to enter the realm of galactic life as fully participating members in the community of worlds. Those who dare to send their minds where mine has gone will find a truth that needs no human defender. The U.S. government's involvement with psychic matters was born of the need to collect information about the country's enemies. Initial interest originated within the CIA in the 1970s, but the bulk of the research was conducted by U.S. Army intelligence, beginning with a highly secret project aimed at training some of their best officers. The critical problem with military intelligence collection has always been the risk faced by its agents, often caused by the difficulty of communicating information back to headquarters. Technological devices, no matter how cleverly they were concealed, could still be discovered, and the agent's life and information jeopardized. What was needed was a means of communicating information to Washington, D.C., without any physical apparatus. The original idea was for the military to develop some type of psychic switch that could be activated in the Pentagon from, say, Moscow. The U.S. military was also concerned that the Soviets might be developing a psychic military potential. The United States did not want to be left behind, and a psychic Cold War developed. Interestingly, the Soviets actually did have a psychic warfare program. Their approach was to screen their population for the best possible natural psychics rather than to attempt to create a training program. While they did manage to assemble an effective psychic team, the Soviet efforts were hampered by the same problem that plagued the U.S. efforts, namely, resistance from higher levels of command. The CIA's initial involvement with psychic matters began by working with natural psychics. When the CIA's covert mining of Nicaraguan harbors came to the attention of Congress, the CIA purged all units and projects that could lead to further political trouble or embarrassment. This ended the CIA's involvement with psychic warfare. But the effort resulted in the military's exploration of the application of psychic techniques in intelligence gathering. The U.S. Army did not have the same political problems that plagued the CIA. To the Army, mission accomplishment was the only thing that mattered. While the CIA was enmeshed in its psychic troubles, the Army began creating a group of hidden or black units that would help solve some of its more difficult intelligence problems. One of these special units was codenamed Detachment G for Grill Flame and did not appear on any organizational schematic for the military. Detachment G was assigned the original task of investigating the use of psychic techniques to penetrate the most secret military projects of the enemies of the United States. Because of this unit's unusual nature, Information it gathered was circulated only to a handful of the highest-ranking officers and political appointees. The Army needed to find some way to give the phenomenon greater scientific credibility so that it could eventually put its efforts on the books and increase funding. Thus it began funding some scientific efforts in an attempt to validate the phenomenon. 
Though these experiments yielded some valuable information, the information gathered in this fashion was not always consistent across sessions or subjects. The military needed high degrees of reliability. Nothing else would do if the big brass were to be convinced of the material's value. It was 1982 that natural psychic Ingo Swann made his major breakthroughs in remote viewing by developing the protocols that would support reliable intelligence gathering. Swann made his discoveries over many years as he was participating in extensive experiments being conducted at various scientific institutes, including Stanford Research Institute. He developed a form of remote viewing that was based on the use of geographical coordinates and this form became known as coordinate remote viewing. Later, Swan was contracted to train over a dozen individuals in these techniques, some members of the military and some civilians. Their original training lasted one year. To introduce the general subject of altered awareness to the trainees, the team was first sent to the Monroe Institute in Virginia, where they received formal training in out-of-body states. But operational matters went from bad to worse for the nation's most highly trained remote viewers. Their influence in Washington, never great, diminished. Remote viewing bears no similarity to the techniques of television or tabloid psychics. Remote viewing is an exacting and demanding discipline that involves a precisely structured set of protocols, and only an individual who has been fully trained by a competent teacher can utilize it accurately for data-gathering purposes. Remote viewing has evolved from an art to a science through a striking history of progress and refinement. The use of remote viewing in the course of my research also led to enhancements in both technique and understanding. The form of remote viewing used to conduct this research I call scientific remote viewing. Scientific remote viewing is a technique that is derived from the military-developed procedures and has been extended to enable two-way communication between a remote viewer and telepathically capable beings. Scientific remote viewing is a set of protocols or procedures that allows what is often referred to as the unconscious mind to communicate with the conscious mind thereby transferring valuable information from one level of awareness to another. Information coming from the unconscious mind is typically considered intuition. It is a feeling about something of which one otherwise has no direct knowledge. For example, many mothers will claim that they simply know when one of their children is in serious trouble. They feel it in their bones, so to speak even when they have not been told anything specific regarding their child's situation. More generally, intuition operates across space and time without any physical means of information transference. Scientific remote viewing systematizes the reading of intuition and allows it to be accurately transcribed onto paper and later analyzed. Using scientific remote viewing, the information coming from the unconscious is recorded before the conscious mind has a chance to interfere with it using normal waking state intellectual processes such as rationalization or imagination. Remote viewers quickly write down this information during a remote viewing session while staying within the strict structure of the protocols. 
The rules of scientific remote viewing enable a viewer to avoid using the intellectual processes of his or her conscious mind until after the remote viewing session is completed. Deviating from the protocols even slightly invites the conscious mind to intervene in the process. To do this would court disaster, since the conscious mind would try to interpret the data on the spot, thereby activating the mind's imagination. Experience has shown that this seriously compromises the accuracy of the data, which is why untrained natural psychics are generally not reliable remote viewers. Not analyzing the data until after it is collected is the single most important characteristic of scientific remote viewing. Without this, remote viewing is no more reliable than having a daytime fantasy. Scientific remote viewing always focuses on a target. A target can be almost anything about which one needs information. Typically, targets are places, events, or people. But one can also work with more challenging targets as well, such as a person's dreams, or even God. One relies on the unconscious to deliver the required information in a way that will be understandable to the conscious mind. A scientific remote viewing session begins by executing a set of procedures using target coordinates. These are essentially two randomly generated four-digit numbers that are assigned to the target, and the remote viewer does not have to know what target the numbers represent. It is convenient to use numbers for these coordinates, but letters would work as well. These coordinates are not indicative of a target's geographic location. The numbers are themselves meaningless to the conscious mind of the remote viewer. The mental connection with the target produces what is called a signal. All information coming from the target is distinguished from contaminating information, such as from the imagination, by the viewer's learning to discern the distinct mental flavor of signal information. At the end of each session, the viewer is given the actual description of the target to allow a comparison with the remote viewing data, thereby obtaining feedback on the data gathering process. The scientific remote viewing protocols have seven distinct stages. In each stage, different types of information are obtained from the target, although often a session will end without completing all seven stages if the needed target information has been obtained in the earlier stages. Stage 1 is designed to establish initial site contact. Stage 2 increases the contact with the site. Information obtained in this stage includes colors, surface textures, temperatures, tastes, smells, and sounds that are associated with the target. Stage 3 involves an initial sketch of the target. Stage 4 is intimate contact with the target. The unconscious is allowed total control in solving the problem by permitting it to direct the flow of information to the conscious mind. Stage 5 obtains details regarding particular structures, such as the furniture in a room. This stage is often omitted in scientific remote viewing sessions unless such detailed information is required. Stage 6 has the remote viewer conducting some guided explorations of the site. This is where timelines and geographic locational arrangements are analyzed. Advanced sketches are also drawn in this stage. Stage 7 is used to obtain 
auditory information relating to the site, such as the name of a location. There are six different types of remote viewing data, and depending on the purpose of the session, there can sometimes be 600 separate things to do, one quickly following another, within the seven distinct stages of the protocols. The basic idea behind these many tasks is to record, on paper, target information as quickly as possible before the analytic portions of the mind can distort, interpret, or otherwise contaminate it. At the end of a session, the viewer has approximately 20 sheets of paper with various forms of data, which are then decoded, interpreted, and summarized. When a remote viewer conducts a session alone, the conditions of data collection are referred to as solo. When the session is solo and the remote viewer picks the target, thus having prior knowledge of that target, the data are referenced as Type 1 data. Knowing the target in advance is called front-loading. The difficulty with this type of session, primarily affecting novice remote viewers, is that the viewer's imagination can more easily contaminate these data since the viewer may have preconceived notions of the target. For the novice remote viewer, the risk of contamination is reduced with Type 2 data. With this type of remote viewing session, the viewer works solo but does not choose the target for the particular session. The target is selected by a computer at random from a predetermined list of targets. Since the conscious minds of the remote viewers do not know which target is associated with which coordinates, viewers must use their unconscious to extract all information regarding the target. Thus, it is said that the viewer is conducting the session blind, which means without prior knowledge or front-loading of the target. With Type 3 data, the target is determined by someone other than the remote viewer. For example, a remote viewing company can send a fax transmission from its headquarters containing the target coordinates to a group of trained remote viewers who live across the United States. Remote viewing solo does have some drawbacks. When viewers conduct their own scientific remote viewing sessions, the protocols prevent them from fully using the analytic portions of their minds. Thus, the viewers can find themselves viewing a target without knowing what to do next. Solo sessions yield valuable information about a target, but more detailed and in-depth information can be obtained when someone else is doing the navigation. This other person is called a monitor, and monitored sessions can be spectacularly interesting events. When the monitor knows the target, but